Welcome back to the IoT Podcast. I'm your host, Tom White. Every week, we are joined by the biggest names in IoT to unravel the trends, misconceptions, and predictions for the Internet of Things. Before we get into today's episode, don't forget to subscribe on whichever platform you're watching or listening on and turn on that notification bell so you're never out of the loop. Today's episode, I'm joined with Miko Erho, CEO at Visual Components, a developer of 3D simulation software for manufacturing. In today's episode, we'll be exploring how 3D simulation is being used in industrial IoT and the benefits, as well as the emergence of cobots, how they work and how visual components are innovating cobots. If you're interested in IIoT, this is a must watch. Before we get into the episode, shout out to our sponsor today, 5 Tech. 5 Tech are specialists in finding people who make technology a force for good in the world. They bridge the gap between talent and deep tech businesses around the globe. Click the link in the description to find out more. Miko, welcome to the IoT podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me today here. Thank you for coming on to the show. I've been looking forward to this. Um, Miko, as usual, and as a, as a way we start this podcast and every podcast in the world possibly starts when they host a new guest. Uh, I wondered if you could take the opportunity to introduce yourself and your journey into becoming the CEO of Visual Components. Yes, thank you. Um, so my name is Mick Kurho, and I'm a CEO of Visual Components. And uh, I have been working with Visual Components already 20 years. So I came actually in 2003 to make my thesis work at Visual Components. So I have a technical background in production engineering, actually. Then I did uh, some simulation work, modeling work, support work at the beginning of my career here. Then I moved to to sales side of it. So we started to sell also software 2005, actually. Since that, I did uh, some direct sales, uh, uh, selling to customers, visual components, products, first in Finland, then, then in Europe, and later also globally. And then we started to build also a reseller network. Uh, and also after that, when we were growing as a company, I, I was leading our sales organization. And see, about two and a half years ago, I had a chance to step into the CEO position. So it has been quite a, quite a journey. I have seen a lot. Company has been changing a lot also during the years. When I joined, I think we were six, six or seven engineers and now today we are we are over 120 employees so seeing also many countries so so it's been really nice wow what, what, a, what a fantastic background you know it's interesting actually because on the podcast and i think you know we we, we filmed many i can't give you an accurate number although i should know but we filmed many many um i i can actually remember on one hand how many people I've met who have grown through the ranks of the business, who have joined either as a trainee or a, a kind of you know, junior programmer, the term developer. And you've had so many different positions in the business and uh, in the business. And it's testament, actually, isn't it, that you have stayed with the business for nearly 20 years, as you've said, um, and grown up into this position. So you must be incredibly passionate and seen all aspects of visual components. 
both good and bad over the years. Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, also the business where we are has been changing a lot. So so I think we will talk about it today. But uh, I think where we are today uh, with 3D simulation, um, I, I think times are very different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. So we, there has been a lot of development. And that's why it's been also very interesting to be with visual components. Yes, yeah, I can imagine. So, um, so in terms of getting on for an introduction to what visual components do, you've, you've touched upon it there, 3D simulation. So we've had people on our podcast and at the time of recording today, it should be released, um, but we've had people on like Matterport and other people talking about digital twins uh-huh. um, in simulation, right? And yeah. creating replicas. So could yeah. you explain what visual components do uh, when it comes to um, primary subject matter expertise? Yeah, well, uh, visual components is a 3D manufacturing simulation software. So that means basically that you can simulate everything what, what you have in, in the manufacturing processes. So um, our customers are using it when, when you are, for example, creating a new layout. Uh, to your factory, or you're planning that. Visual components is used for layout planning. And there you can really see that, okay, how this this system will work, actually. And because it's simulated also, then you can maybe find some errors there that, okay, what might happen if you don't, if you do it, do it this way? So it's a kind of tool to you to realize that, okay, if there's any problems. And uh, you, can, you can also connect it to external... Uh, controllers like PLCs or robot controllers. So if you want to make a virtual commissioning, so meaning that before you have actual production line in in your shop floor, then you can actually do already like a PLC programming for your um, upcoming system, for example. And then also we have uh, the acquired company called Delphi Robotics last year. Um, they are adding uh, robotics offline programming tools to visual components. So, so I, I will show you later some examples how you can actually create, uh, for example, for arc welding process easily a program. So this is the scope where we are. And when, when, when we talk about digital twin, for example, uh, I wouldn't say that visual components is a digital twin exactly, but it, it's a, it's a starting point for digital twin. So, so we, you need to have a content for digital twin, and then you need to have a communication with the real system. And then also you can, you can benefit from that. But, but this is a power scope, um, production system lifecycle from layout planning to, to actual, actually operating in the software. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I think, um, you know, as, as you said there, you've, you've touched upon it being a start of digital twins. Um, you know, to go back one step, you know, why is simulation in IIoT so important? Why, why, you know, are there businesses like yours around? What, what is the advantage to the uh, to the to the manufacturing industry in having simulation, Nico? Yeah, it's it's if you if you think about IIoT, uh, for example, how much data you actually can collect from the systems with that, and. Uh, uh, 3D simulation is a perfect um, tool for testing out what will happen if if you have the data from your production, and then you want to check out. Okay, if I change something in my system, I, I you can actually run uh, those uh, 
that data through simulation and see that, okay, what will be the outcome? So you can predict the future. Many times in IoT environments, you have monitoring system that, that will, will actually show the, the actual status at the moment. But if you want to test something in the future, 3D simulation is for that. So, so, so I think from, from, from my understanding and from people that I've spoken to in the past, one of the advantages of being able to test something is ultimately maybe to see uh, where it might break, right? Because yes. it's easier to break something in a simulation than it exactly. is to have the cost of doing it in real life. It was, which is that, would you say is one of the, the big benefits yes. of this? Yes, yes exactly. It's a um, it's tool to check out if something goes wrong. So um, predict the future. Then, then it's always always more cost effective to to fix it when you realize it with simulation. The same thing when you're building a new layout. So if you realize that, okay, I have a problem with my uh, logic in the system or with the reachability in the robot side, when you realize it on the software, it's always more more expensive than if, if you do the simulation, then you can still fix it on the design table. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and so who is using visual components? Is there, are there any case studies that you can talk about today for any companies who have sig- significantly improved using some of your software? Yeah, our, um, our customer base is um, divided into two, two groups, basically. The ones that are building the production systems, the system creators, machine builders who are actually creating production lines. And they use it for layout purposes when they make a layout proposal to their customer, typically the manufacturing company. So they use it as a, as a kind of sales tool, but it's more than nice pictures. It's also you can provide statistics and also capacity of, of your uh, new production system, prove the uh, return of investment as well. So it's more than just visualization and nice pictures. The other group, of course, manufacturing companies, um, they are using it many times when, when it comes, when they are planning something new in their factories. So they can, they can actually uh, also have it as internal sales tool, internal communication. So the group that is designing those things, they can prove their management. Okay, this is why we need to invest on this uh, new production line. Also, of course, if you want to improve things there, so it's typically, or you have many factories uh, all over the world, then you can harmonize your processes in those factories. So that's that's the way they typically um, typically use it. Or if we go to the offline programming side, of course, uh, then typically it might be system creator who is selling, for example, arc welding solutions. They provide visual component solutions to their customers. Or if you have many robots in your factory, you need to have more easier tools to actually program your robots, then you can use visual components for that. Um, we have many case studies on our website also, uh, but customer base can be, it's not like industry specific, it can be anything from car manufacturer to shoemaker to really small engineering companies, uh, system creators uh, in electronics, for example, is many times used. It's not like specific industry, but it's always like a discrete event uh, production. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. I think, um, I mean, again, it's, uh, it's interesting to see such a wide portfolio of different customers that you work with. One of the things that we've heard about a lot in the podcast and in my own personal experience is this pace of innovation sometimes at manufacturing businesses. Um, and sometimes it can be actually a little bit slower compared to say in the home or in other sectors where it can move quite a bit quicker. Do you think uh, that, that that's both a good and a bad thing when it comes to putting your software into these businesses? Is there some reluctance sometimes, uh, but also, you know, perhaps do they see the benefit when they actually see the simulations unfolding when, when you eventually can work with them? How, how, does, how does that work? Yeah, it's, it, it is like, uh, I think we have seen the big change when Industry 4.0 was introduced to the market. So when I started to sell visual components 2005, it was always I have to explain that, okay, what is simulation? Why do you need, need to do it? But with Industry 4.0, uh, it was brought to, to companies' attention again. And then we saw in the market that, okay, more and more companies are willing to invest in simulation and to IoT and everything. So I think that there was a clear turn point, but, but you're, you're right. It's still sometimes some companies are hesitating with uh, new investments to the new technologies. Maybe they have been using some simulation back in nineties and it was difficult and expensive and it still has, has this reputation. But I think we see. We see more and more trend uh, that companies are really investing on on these things like uh, IoT and simulation. So, so it's and and for the companies that haven't done it, I I think they they have to follow the others. They they need to invest on it. So, if you want to be competitive in the future, you need to you need to just have these kind of technologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Um... Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's a, there's an element of, you know, this is a wave of new uh, ways of doing things, actually. And when it's in the press and it's widely reported, or perhaps you, your customers may look at some of their peers in the industry and they're doing something similar, you realize well, you, have, you have to keep up with the pace of innovation eventually. Um, exactly. It was, like, it was like that when I started to sell that. Like when I got the first customer, for example, in Finland, um, I had many other opportunities, but when the first one did, did the move, it was easier to sell to the others as well. So, so I, I still have those old customers. We, 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 they are still using visual components. And this was 2006, right? Five, six when they were purchasing first licenses. So, but it, it made it easier. Um, when you have a references and they realize, and they were also talking to each other, okay, what, what is your experience and so on. So, of course, it helps always with the new technology like this. Yeah. And, and I think also from a case study perspective, if, you know, in, um, certainly in Finland, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly small ecosystem of manufacturing businesses compared to mm. other large countries in the world. So being able to reference that, but also having some customers from, as you say, 2005, 2006, uh, you could no doubt they have seen the potential cost savings longer term in running yeah. this simulation, um, yeah. which makes it easier for other people to bite the bullet and invest 
in bringing this in, not only from a monetary cost, but a time cost and a change of practice cost. Because, you know, it, it, you know no matter how you look at it, manufacturing pace is slower. So to make a change, people really need to feel confident that there will be a long-term benefit. Um, yeah, yeah so, sure. so, so it makes sense. So, so getting to the platform in particular then, so how, how does the platform work? Um, maybe maybe it would be good if I can show so yeah. we did, uh, maybe easier to explain a little bit of how how visual components platform is working that would be great yeah so uh, he says now that for our for our viewers on YouTube there should be a video popping up in the next sort of 10 to 15 seconds so um, and for anyone listening on Spotify or or iTunes or in various other audio formats, you'll have to head over to YouTube to see the video that uh, Miko is now going to start sharing soon. Um, but it'd be good to good to see the visual representation of this. Yeah. So I, I have the first video just explaining a little bit concept of um, uh, how how the video is actually working um, okay. or how the system works. So you can see the visual components. Um, user interface here uh, as also company name is visual component so we are providing library of components different kind of production uh, devices uh, robots i think we have over three thousand components at the moment available from our from our library for our customers so including conveyors fences warehouses uh, hgvs all kind of uh, equipments that you need in your production systems. And that makes it easy also and, uh, for our customers to create new layouts. So first I, we take a conveyor, for example, from our library. Um, components have a different kind of parameters, so you can easily create your layouts and you can plug and play these components together. So you don't need to be a programmer to be, be able to do this. So a normal sales engineer can always do this. And then we are also providing uh, over uh, 1,600 different kind of robots from 70 vendors in our library. So you can really test out what is the best robot for your system. And basically you can create the whole factory layout with visual components. So here you can see, for example, there's a warehouse system, there's HEVs, there's human workers. Basically you can model your factory in, in visual components. And everything is running in simulation. You can have a, as outcome nice visualizations, 2D drawings, uh, VR model, or or also statistics out of it. So you can analyze the system. Wow! That so that was a, that was a kind of a short uh, uh, introduction of how what, how the visual component works in the layout level. Yes, I mean, it's impressive. You said there were 3,000 different components in the library uh, to make up different parts of the, of the warehouse, of the facility. Um, it's, it, it must take some time to build that, right? If you've got a fairly large warehouse, that must take you know, several days, if not weeks, maybe, to kind of build that out on, on the platform, including all the different nuances, etc. Yeah, of course, when you are creating the components of the library, it takes time and you need to have a knowledge about the logic and how does it work and what is the all kind of things you, you need to do on the specific. But the idea of this component-based modeling is that when you have it in the library, you have the parameters and then you can modify 
it for your purposes in the layout easily. And you don't need to don't know how I, I'm creating the logic for a, a component like warehouse. And you can just use it from the user interface. So it, it really makes uh, simulation accessible for uh, the ones that don't know how to program things. Yes. Uh, so for example, uh, or you can really fast create your layout. So that was the original idea of Visual Components that we, we extend the kind of user base for 3D manufacturing simulation. It used to be always that, okay, there's one programmer, one engineer somewhere in the corner benefiting from this technology and then providing the results. But now organizations can use it in different levels. You might have those experts in, in the, in the company. But then you have a lot of users that are using your component libraries. You can create also your own components if we don't have something in our library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I, I can imagine it's such a valuable exercise to do because once you've built it, then you're just obviously making small amendments to it, aren't you? Right? Because the the, the platform is roughly there, the warehouse is there. So how how does it typically work? Just a question on the simulation there. So you've got all of these different components, robotics working together, you know, the warehouse is working, it's on, the, the, the factory is doing its thing. How, how typically can someone see an issue when they're simulating it? What, what is a common kind of problem that comes up from customers that they uh, have avoided by doing the simulation as opposed to building it without? Yeah, it's, it's typically when you're creating some new layouts. Uh, if you have, a, for example, a robot, you can check the reachability with simulation, for example, or make a collision check. So you might collide somewhere in the layout, and, and in simulation, you can check it. Uh, that's, that's quite typical, what, what actually the ones that are creating new robot layouts, they are checking always, okay, is it collision-free, the path, and also that, okay, is reachability, okay. Uh, the other one is, of course, you might have a, a kind of you—you you might have some problems with the capacity in the system. That, based on your original calculations, that okay, we, someone is promising, for example, some capacity for the system, and then with simulation you realize that okay, it's not even close, and you don't know where, where is it coming from? Then it's good to be simulated always because you need to think also that how the system works and then you can make sure that you can actually deliver what you have promised to the customer. So those are the typical cases that yeah, we I can, I, no, I can, I, I, I can imagine that. Yeah. And I can also, well, just off the top of my head, I can also think of, you know, uh, you know, power shortages, et cetera, making sure you've got the right you know, power going through. Also potential heat and ventilation issues as well. You know, I'm sure some of these equipments can throw off a lot of heat, you know. Uh, is there an issue with them working right next to others or to, you know, the human element of the factory as well? You know, how close is that person stood next to something that's, you know, providing a lot of heat? So I can understand from that simulation point of view, it's, it's, it's absolutely critical, actually. Um, and it was, yeah. good to, it was good to see the video. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Um, I also, I have a, another video regarding the, um, the offline programming um, when we talk about uh, the robotic simulation more in detail. Um, and this is what Delphoi Robotics is adding to visual components. Actually, we are coming up with the new product release now in September. It will be released in, in uh, 
in second second week of September in in uh, Schweizenschneiden, so in Germany and also in Fabtech in the US. And uh, here you can see the functionality. What is the what is the logic or what is the idea of offline programming? So we can import a CAD model for your product. And here we need to teach the robot to make make arc welding process. And we have easy to use tools to actually by clicking, it will automatically create one arc welding scene. So robot knows how to make this arc welding scene to this, this location when, when you're actually clicking that geometry. Um, the other thing is also, we, we already talked about collision-free path planning. So especially in these cases, you need to have a right configuration for the robot while you are running it, and then make sure that nothing is colliding with the workpiece. So there's automatic tools for that. So we make also offline programming easy. So if we do layout, layout creation easy, we do also offline programming easy with this uh, for Robotics. And uh, then we have a post processors to different robots, so you can create your um, robot program and post process it to, to, to real robot shell. So then you can actually start um, uh, running your real production cell. And here you can see that it's not only for arc welding, but it's also any other, in the many of the processes to deepering, to painting and so on. So that's the idea of, of uh, robotics programming. And then it comes to the robotics offline programming. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, isn't it? It's um, it's so detailed as well. That I guess that's what's really staggering about the video is, uh, you know, how specific you can be from the simulation. Um, but I would imagine these robotics and uh, you know the actual equipment is very um, costly. So you know you've got to got to make sure it's in the right area. So thank thank you for thank you for showing that, and good luck on the release in September about that. I'm sure it'll go well, but it's. Uh, it's good to get that out there for, for anyone viewing and, and listening today on the, on the, on the show. So just yeah. to, to, to touch on that then, so we, do, we didn't cover that earlier, um, but visual components have made an, an acquisition of Delphoi Robotics. Um, yes. And, and talk to me a little bit about that. What, what, what was the acquisition about? And, and this term Cobots, for people that don't know, what, you know what, why, why did the acquisition come about? And, and what is Cobots in the world of robotics, Miko? Yeah, yeah. Delphi, um, we have been partnering, partnering with Delphi already um, over 10 years. So they have been using our platform in their offline programming solutions for some time. And uh, when, when there was an opportunity, we were thinking that, okay, how do we actually grow visual components business in the future? And, and we, we, had a very, we always have had very good cooperation with Delphi Robotics before. And we know that they product product were the best in the market uh, for for offline programming certain processes. So, and we know also the team here. They also located in Finland, like we are. Visual components is uh, headquarters in Finland, so they were close by. So it was quite natural that we actually Delphi Robotics became part of Visual Components, and. Um, of course, we wanted to have this tool set in our portfolio and, and make it accessible for our customers that they can also, visual components customer base can benefit from that. And obviously a new new business to, to visual components uh, and to visual components partners as well. 
So that was the main reason. And uh, with with Delphoi, um, you can program uh, cobots. Sometimes they need to be also offline programmed. But even if the cobots, you can also teach by hand. So you can just track them somewhere and make some simple stuff. But when it goes to the more um, complicated processes, for example, sometimes also cobots, they, they are used for uh, art building or gluing or something like that. Then simulation and offline programming comes to play because with those tools, you can also program cobots. Uh, likewise, the industrial robots. So, so those are kind of similar thing in visual components. Uh, cobots and robots, you can, you can program and simulate there. Yeah, well, I, 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 I can I can understand why the acquisition, and it's great to know, you know, um, that you know, work with a business for so long that it was natural that you would work together. I think that's a really nice success story of a good business working relationship, actually. Um, yeah. And, and for, the, for those listening, um, what is what is the definition di- uh, difference between a robot and a cobot? What what makes a cobot a cobot compared to being a robot? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good 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 question. Actually, I always I, I think when cobots came to the market, it wasn't very clear what, what, how it, how it's called. Uh, but cooperative robot is is something that you can um, it's a safe you you can you can teach it by hand, and human worker can actually work with the, in the same space with robots. And so so with Typically, with industrial robots, from traditional industrial robots, you can actually you need to have safety fences, and they don't stop if if they touch something, and and so on. So there's there's a clear difference in that. So I think originally the I, I remember uh, over over ten years ago or fifteen years ago already we were dealing with first cobot manufacturers, and uh, they were always. They said that, okay, their first idea was to provide something that you can actually take to your car, take the robot on the table, and then teach the robot in, in location. And they were saying that, okay, they never thought that this needs to be simulated because the process is so simple that you can actually do it by in place and it doesn't take too long. But but later states they were have been starting to be used in in different processes, more complicated processes, and then it comes to more complicated also. So I would say, well, there's certain, in my opinion, those are both are robots. The other one is cooperative robot, and and human worker can work work in the same space, and it helps also human worker, of course, it's, if you have some simple repetitive task that you need to do. It's nice to have a cobot and cobot can do it for you. And then you can concentrate on something more uh, more valuable work that helps you run the, the manufacturing. Yeah, so uh, thank, thank you for explaining that. So I was just I was just thinking in my head about that actually, about what point, you know, you'd need a human worker to ensure um, that that piece of uh, work is being done to the correct fashion. That's where you might use a cobalt, for instance, right? You know, you, it might enable you to do it quicker, more efficiently. Um, but the robotic process, that you know, that automation of that side perhaps is less critical 
or one that you know has less chance of going wrong perhaps right that's where i can sort of see it and is that typically how industry use cobots and, and robots say is that the separation that you see generally in the market from people that you've worked with um yeah it, it might be might be some i i have seen also many many funny funny applications so i think that they have been extending all the time that how actually cobots are used but i think i think that, that that's the point that uh, maybe maybe in some applications it, it's not possible to use industrial robots because of uh, safety but the, on the other hand in, in some other processes it's necessary because you maybe need more speed and you need something um, that that you can't have with the with the cobot so so that's typically the maybe the selection yes um, yeah. yeah no that makes a lot of sense so, so, Sabika, what does the future look like then in, in regards to 3D simulation and cobots? And, and what role would visual components play in the advancement of Industry 4.0 and, and where we might be in five or ten years' time? Yeah, it, yeah. always we think also that, okay, where we are going and now, now what, what, what I just explained, that, okay, how visual components is, is helping customers today. Uh, obviously, more and more layouts are simulated now. I believe in the future, whether you have cobots or robots or any other equipments that or automation systems. Uh, I, I think in the in, in some point there will be kind of no new systems built before they have been simulated. So it will become as a standard part of the process. Uh, like you have 2D drawing, for example. Typically, you create a 2D drawing uh, when you are building a production system. I believe the simulation will be also a standard part in that. O obviously, we see in the cobot side, if we talk about them, uh, it's, it's been huge to grow what, what you see with the cobot market. So more and more applications can be done with the cobots. Uh, whenever you go to the exhibition, for example, in Europe this year, Automatica, some other shows, you always see a bunch of new companies bringing in new cobots to the market. So obviously that business is growing all the time. And uh, if you think about, we have a uh, lack of skilled workers, uh, for example, arc welding. Well, there's no, not enough welders in the, in, in many countries. So you need to automize those things. And, and that means that uh, uh, also more and more robots and cobots will be uh, introduced to the manufacturing side. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can definitely see that happening long-term actually. Um, now that we have the ability to simulate it, it would not make any sense to not simulate it and take the risk of it going wrong in application, I, I can completely agree with that. Actually, yeah. So, um, and I think the use of robotics and cobots in the future is, is destined to stay, uh, but also become more mainstream, perhaps actually, in all different types of warehouses and industrial um, sectors, rather than just the ones that we see about in the press sometimes, right? You know, um, and I'm sure visual components will play a huge 
huge part in that moving forward. Um, Mika, as we come, we come towards the wrap up of the show today, I've got a question from our audience actually. Um, and, and I wondered if you might be able to answer it. And the question is, how does Visual Components incorporate cutting edge technology, such as VR and AR into your simulation solutions? It's a, um, actually Visual Components has all, also, we have product called Visual Components Experience. So already today you can create a VR model from simulation and you can, you can actually have it in the visual components experience, uh, it's, which is a free software. And then you can have your, uh, VR classes on and then you can step into the model and see that, okay, how, how does it actually look like? So it can be a recording or then you can stream it, it from, from simulation. That's an excellent, uh, communication tool. So for VR and AR, I, I think uh, simulation is again kind of you can have a content for that environment easily from simulation. So you don't need to create, for example, make a huge project to build your animation. But when we have customers who are using our tool in layout creation part, and then they also kind of have this VR model for your, for their customers. And, and the customers can actually go and see that, okay, this is my new production line. So, so in that, we are not VR company, but we are creating, uh, with simulation content for, for VR environments. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's phenomenal. The fact that you can put on a, you know, VR, uh, headset and go and walk into the simulation and walk around and, and touch different parts of it. It certainly brings the simulation to life, as opposed to just being a visualization on a on a on a desktop computer, right? Yeah. Um, and and often we find this this um, convergence of different technologies, um, you know, really bringing uh, to life, um, you know, the, the 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 core components of what that piece of technology might be doing. And I think that's that's IoT in general, actually. It's a connector. It's an enabler uh, for different things to come together, and it's uh, it's great. It's great to see that, and it's a really good question, actually. A uh-huh. um, couple of quick fire questions, Mika, as we come to the end of the podcast. These are always the interesting ones. We get to get to know the inside of your mind a little bit better. Um, if you uh, if you could learn any new skill this year, anything in life at all, what would that skill be, and why would you learn it, Miko? Oh, wow. What a question. I, I think, um, yeah, very, very good question. Actually, I, I, I would go for, um, I think I still, I, I want to learn more, more about the cloud environments, strategies there, how they actually will be in the future. So I want to educate myself also in that field. Excellent. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's an amazing thing that, that a lot of people uh, a lot of people could do with with knowing about. Also, the other one is of course AI field, very interesting. Also combined with simulation. Yes, uh, it's good. It would be good to have more kind of technical insight. What 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 can be done? Yes, I think there's many many options. Uh, what you can actually do with with visual components environment and combining some AI technologies. Yes. It's very interesting. 
Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, it, it's a wonderfully exciting world at the moment with everything coming together. Um, and if you could have any conversation with a renowned innovator or inventor, living or past, who would that be and why? Inventor? Uh, yes. What, 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 what do you mean with the inventor? So, would, would, you know, if there was any inventor in the world or any um, technologist, someone that you've aspired to or that you've taken influence from over the years uh, in any part of the world and you could have a conversation with them, who, who would that be and why? Uh, yeah, obviously, I, I think the ones that came out with, uh, with the first car, it would, would be interesting to know that, okay, what was the process of that? How did they actually come, come later states? Of course, now electric car, uh, but, but the concept of, okay, how do we actually, how do you move people from, from A, A to B and what was the thinking process of that? Yeah. It would be interesting to know that, okay, how did it actually come up? Yes. I, um, I actually don't know who invented the first car. I know, um, I know about the Model T Ford and you could have it in any color as long as it was black, but I think that was some years later, actually. Um, but, uh, I, 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 I can imagine that's interesting. Yeah. The first car. So how did you move on from a horse and cart into a car? Right. So it's, yeah. it's a big question. It's a big question. Yes. Yes. Uh, Miko, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and telling us about visual components, your journey within the business, the acquisition of Delphoy Robotics and everything that you're doing in simulation. Uh, it is fascinating. I can definitely see a world where everyone simulates everything before they actually enact it. And it, it kind of sounds really logical, actually. It feels like a natural kind of progression. Um, where can people find out more about visual components uh, online? It's www.visualcomponents.com. There we have a lot of information. If you want to know more about the visual components products or you want to know about case studies, that's the place to go. Also, our YouTube channel is, there's a lot of nice videos in that also. Oh, great. Well, we'll make sure that there's a link in the comments if anyone wants to see any more of the videos that they've seen today on the podcast. Um, but Miko, thank you for joining us on the IoT podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the IoT podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're on. See you next week for more IoT talks and tales.